our next series, Talking About God. And this series is going to be great and exciting because uh, it's actually around one of our friends, our dear friend's uh, book, Steve Saccone, who used to be on staff here, uh, who's a dear friend of Awakening. Uh, we still like him. Uh, that He's coming back in a couple weeks to teach on this, but we're going to do a whole series around this idea of talking about God and what we mean by this is not necessarily you talking with people you're comfortable with about God, but talking with people you've never talked to about God before, which is an anxiety-producing thing, which is why Steve wrote this great book, which is why we're going to learn about it for the next four weeks, is about how do we talk about God? Because, man, it's a very difficult subject, particularly with those we're just meeting for the first time, that God is actually an incredibly divisive subject in American culture. And beyond that, in the 21st century, it's become maybe even more divisive. People ask me, you know, and they say, uh, you know, uh, what do you believe? And I say, I'm a Christian. Often they say, what kind? (laughs) I think they want to know if I'm weird or not right off the bat, which they'll find out later. Uh, I remember actually how anxiety producing this can be. I remember the first time I ever talked to someone about God. I actually talked to someone about God before I knew God. I talked to, to somebody about God before I was even a Christian. I was, I was in the third grade. I remember this. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I went to a VBS, a vacation Bible school, old school. Anybody go to a vacation Bible school? Um, there's therapy. Okay, but um, man, I just went. I think my parents were like, daycare? Sweet. Uh, you know, and they just like dropped me off or something. And I think through the whole week, the people leading the VBS assumed every child, like, accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior and became little Christians to just leave the... Because I, I didn't really know what was happening. I was, like, playing kickball and, like, doing arts and crafts. And the next thing I know, I've been told at the very end of the week, I, ha- I got this pamphlet. They said, now your job is to go give this to someone else because of what you heard. And I was like, I don't know what I heard. <laughs> Question, I'm eight I don't know what any of this means. Uh, so I got this, I got this pamphlet, right? And I go out uh, to school. And, I, and see, here's the thing that you got to know about me. I, I, I'm a rule follower. I was a rule follower growing up. So like some of you, you would grow up and you would be like, piece of paper, throw it in the trash. Like, you know, you're not a rule follower. I was. So I was like, I need to do what's right. So I take this pamphlet. I don't even know anything about Christianity. I go to my friend Jacob and I walk up to him and I say, hey. And he goes, Hey. I go, here. (laughs) And the front of the pamphlet, I remember, it said, do you know Jesus as your savior? Great intro. That's the the opener. And I hand it to him, and he looks at me, and he looks at the pamphlet, and he looks back at me, and he looks at the pamphlet, and he proceeds to tear it up (laughs) in my face. And it wasn't just like a it was like a, like a very violent tear. It was like, you know, and he threw it in my face. And I, I never forget what he said to me. He says, I hate Jesus. And I was like, in reflection, I'm like, that's a strong opinion for an eight-year-old. Um, <laughs> but that actually like affected me majorly because I learned so much about that. And upon reflection, I've been learning even more, which is that one, okay, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor, okay, but I'm a bad evangelist. I'm just gonna confess that right off the bat. I'm just not good at sharing one-on-one. I get nervous. I want people to like me. You know, I I get anxiety about it all the time. I'm not sure if I'm going to say the right thing or the wrong thing. And I've been to seminary. I mean, does anybody know how this goes? Sometimes you're just nervous. But I realize also 
Man, that back uh, in third grade, that, that interaction affected me. And maybe some of you have had those interactions where God has been brought up and it has not gone well. And that affects every other time you bring up God forever. Is that sometimes the, the things that affect us early in life or even as we're young and first starting out as a Christian or maybe we're just kind of exploring God, the topic of God is a highly divisive subject, which is why when we launch this series, we have to just stop for just one second. Before we talk about talking about God, we actually have to think about who is this God that we're talking about? What, 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 what is the, who is this God? Because in America, God can mean so many different things. In fact, I'm sure in this room, we all have varying degrees of definitions and pictures in our head of who God is. And that God himself is this interesting character in American consciousness that is like many different forms because we're such a diverse culture. And so first, just as a church, as Awakening, we got to go, who's the God we're talking about? And for some of you that are here today, you've never even heard of who the Christian God is, and I hope to tell you more about him, because here's the truth. Here's what we're recognizing. We're recognizing that you can't really talk about God without first knowing God. You can't talk about God without first knowing God. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to talk about someone you know? Just think about the difference of conversation you and I would have if we had a conversation about Leonardo da Vinci versus a conversation about my wife. I could offer a couple of historical facts about Leonardo da Vinci, but for my wife, I could talk about her forever. I know her so well. Maybe you have a really close friend that you've been friends forever, and if you had a conversation about that friend, you could talk about that friend easily, right? But if we were just talking about like a sports figure or a celebrity, we could know things about them, but we don't really know them. And the truth is, many people in this world, Christian and non-Christian, talk about God without knowing him. They present facts that they've heard from pastors and spiritual leaders and quote scriptures that they heard or saw on the internet. And they offer opinions about a God they don't have a relationship with. And I'm afraid I've been there. Maybe you have too. Where you find yourself being anxious because you're actually talking about someone you don't know. Because you're actually talking about someone who you have in your mind as a list of facts instead of a living and active person. See, the truth is what Christianity says is that not only we have to know God to talk about him, but in Christianity, we know God through Jesus. That Jesus is the name that tells us everything we need to know about God. Do you want to know how our, our God thinks about the poor? Read and look at the life of Jesus. Do you want to know how he feels about religious pride and self-righteousness? You look at Jesus and he will tell you so much about God. We know God through Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Like you could never look at God because he's so mighty and so majestic, but God humbled himself and became Jesus so he would be an image of the invisible it said that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Hebrews 1.3 says that he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. Look at this. And the exact imprint of his nature. He's the same DNA. Is the exact imprint of his nature. 
that Jesus tells us everything we need to know about God because God, as I said, is such a vague noun today in America that Jesus specifies it. To quote an old gospel song by Rance Allen and Kirk Franklin, there's something about the name of Jesus. I love gospel music. You'll learn that about me. In fact, in that song, Kirk Franklin says this. He says, we're living in a day and time when everybody wants to say the name of God, but no one wants to say the name Jesus. There's something about the name of Jesus. I was um, having dinner with my wife years ago. I was a youth pastor in a former life. And uh, when I was coming back from a trip once, we were having dinner, and I was telling her about this trip she wasn't able to go on. And I said the phrase to her, we were living in Portland, Oregon at the time, I said the phrase to her, man, Jesus healed people this last week. We were in, you know, wherever we were, whatever we do. I remember saying that phrase because we were sitting just at a table, just the two of us, and the table behind us, a woman spun around. She's like, what did you say? And I was like, welcome to my date. <laughs> Third wheel much? No, I didn't. I was very kind. I was very kind. She spun around. She goes, what did you say? And I was caught off guard. I said, um, uh, I just, I said, uh, and I was like racking my brain. I was like, I guess I said Jesus healed a lot of people. And I, I like told her, I said, I know that's weird. But I said, I'm a Christian and this is who Jesus is. This is who God is, is that he provides spiritual, emotional, psychological healing because he's alive. He's not dead. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> he's not buried anywhere. And she goes, Okay. She spun around. But here's, here's, here's my point. <laughs> I think she was a little freaked out. My point is, I don't think she would have turned around even if I said God. Like, God is so vague, you hear it all the time, but there's something about the name of Jesus because it accesses us to something about our God. It accesses us information about who the Christian God is, the God of Israel, the God of Scripture. And, and that name is how we can access and know God. And secondly, we know Jesus then. So, how, so we know God through Jesus, but we know Jesus then through this thing called the gospel. The gospel is something you have heard maybe throughout church or through friends and stuff like that. It is the good news. The gospel is that we can know God through Jesus, and that's great. That's great news. That's the good news. The good news, when you hear gospel, the good news is that God is knowable. That through Jesus, we can actually know God. That he's not a mystery anymore. That he's not far off. That we don't have to wonder how he feels about us. That actually God has come to us in Jesus, and that is the gospel. And we access God through the work that God did through Jesus. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. There's a passage I want to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you've got a Bible or an app, head there right now. If not, and you're new, no worries. It'll be on the screen, and it's also in your bulletin. 1 Corinthians 15, I want to talk about this gospel. I want to look at this gospel. Because before we talk about God, we've got to make sure we know him. And if knowing him is all through this thing called the gospel, we've got to look at it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 Paul is writing, Paul, an ancient leader in the early church movement, was writing to a church in Corinthians, in Corinth. And the Corinthians were a messy, messy, messy church. If you know anything about this letter, in the 15th chapter, he says this to this church. He says, now, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel. There's that word. 
the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. Four, now look at this. I delivered to you as of first importance. If you've got a physical Bible, mark that down. This is something of first importance. What I also received, that Christ, Jesus, died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, the early church leader, Then to the 12, the 12 disciples. Then he appeared, look at this, to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That's a New Testament way of saying they dead. Okay, verse 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born. I think that's a beautiful phrase of Paul's biography. As to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And if we're going to understand this gospel and this scripture, let's pray together. Father, we need your understanding and your wisdom. And I pray that my words would just be an instrument and a tool of your power and your Holy Spirit and that you would communicate to us clearly. We don't want more opinions. We have too many of them. We just want a transcendent word from you. So we ask you, God, to do that work in this church in awakening here this morning with us, God, please. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. The gospel, we're going to look at three aspects of the gospel. The gospel is like a diamond, okay? When I was getting married, uh, I learned a lot about diamonds. <laughs> Didn't know much about them. Knew I had to buy one. That was about it. When I got to the store, showed me all the different angles and how you can examine a diamond in its specificity. It went through like these magnifying glasses. See, the gospel, you can look at it with this and turn it, and it looks beautiful from all these different sides, much like a diamond. But at the same time, you can step back from the diamond and just see the beauty and the simplicity of a diamond. I want to take some time to jump in and look at three aspects and turn the diamond a little bit, and then step back and see the whole thing. Three aspects of the gospel. The gospel first, though, before we jump into these three words, the gospel, here's my definition of it, is the transformational message that God has come in our history as Jesus and through his life, death, and resurrection, all human beings can be saved from sin and live as adopted sons and daughters. The gospel is the transformational message that God has come. So three aspects of the gospel. Number one, the gospel is central, not peripheral. The gospel is central and not peripheral. Notice Paul's language. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel. And he says, it's a gospel, it's a news that you have received and in which you now stand and are being saved. And later he says, I delivered it to you as a first importance. The first three verses have many words to tell us how central this message is to Paul and to the church he's talking to. That the gospel is not something that lives on the outskirts of Christian life, it's something that harnesses the Christian life. That the gospel is not something that we add on to other things, but it's something from which all things come. 
The gospel is so central to the Christian faith, it wouldn't exist without it. He says, I want to remind you of it. How are you being reminded of this gospel, friends? How are you keeping the gospel as a central piece of your life, this good news that God has come into your life? How is that anchoring who you are? You see, we never graduate from the gospel, friends. The gospel is not something you receive when you're young or when you become a Christian and then you go on to other things because you're such a great Christian. The gospel is something you never graduate from. It's something you constantly return to. Paul says this in another letter, Colossians 2.6. He says, just as you received Christ, so walk in him. It's like, hey, the same way you received Jesus through the gospel, you're going to walk in that gospel. Here's why. The gospel is the fundamental defining feature of your relationship with God. It's what makes you relate to each other. Without God's good work, without him coming to earth, without the transformational message that God stepped into human history, Christians believe you would never know God. It's just like the fundamental way my wife and I relate to each other is through our covenant in marriage. I relate with my wife differently and more often because we're married. We have a deeper understanding of each other because of our marriage. The marriage is the fundamental premise of our relationship. The gospel works this way. Except the covenant is not held up by two parties. It's just held up by one, by God. Because God has come and he says, my arms are open. I am yours. I have come here. I died for you. I raised from the dead for you on your behalf. And that's how we know each other. (laughs) We don't know each other because you're a good person. We don't know each other because you've memorized scripture. We don't know each other because you call yourself a Christian. We know each other because of what I have done for you. It's the fundamental premise of your relationship with God. It's why you never graduate from it. You always go back to it. That's why communion is so important. Baptism starts you in a physical representation of the gospel. Baptism starts you, you go under the water with Christ, you raise back up. But communion constantly brings us back to it. That's why these two sacraments need to be done in every church. One is because they're ordained by scripture, but two, because they always bring us back to the gospel. And you come to communion and you see the bread and it resembles the broken body of Jesus and you see the cup and it's the wine of the new covenant and you are reminded the fundamental premise of my relationship with God is not what I do, but what he has done for me. And we have to practice these things constantly so that we remind ourselves, I never graduate from the gospel. Gospel is central and not peripheral. So how are you coming back to the gospel? Those of you that are Christians and those that are not Christians, I invite you to look at the gospel as the way to know the true living God. The gospel is central, not peripheral. Secondly, the gospel is historical, not mythological. It's historical and not mythological. Look at the what Paul talks about, when he says in verse three, I'm preaching to you this gospel, and this is what it is, that Christ died, was buried, raised, and appeared. Those are all historical events. And each of those historical events, he cites eyewitnesses that saw it happen. Paul is saying, the resurrection is not a metaphor for your life. It is an event in history. You see, it's very common today, I'm, I'm, there are 
churches that call it Christian doctrine. It's common. You'll hear it from time to time. People will say things like, well, did Jesus rise from the dead or did he not? It doesn't really matter because it's more about, aren't we all resurrecting? And I'm like, no, that's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches about an event. Something has happened in human history. Paul is saying the resurrection is not a myth for us to find deeper truth. No, it's an event that transformed the world. It actually happened. That's what Christians claim. That's what Christianity is built on. It is rooted in history. Paul, in this particular church and day, was fighting Gnosticism and other types of philosophies that were trying to separate the spiritual from the physical. And Paul is saying, no, it's one and the same here. Because this man was raised with spiritual power, but he was physically raised. Something happened to his body. Something happened to him. We sang about that in one of the songs. N.T. Wright, one of the leading New Testament scholars in our world, says this, history, history brings us to the point where we are bound to say there really was an empty tomb. And there really were sightings of Jesus, the same and yet transformed. History then says, so how do you explain that? <laughs> but the history books will tell you, and I put some, rec- some recommended reading down at the bottom, another one being Richard Bauckham's Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. These are books that are about the historicity of our faith, that it is rooted and grounded in an actual event. Scripture, though, hang with me, listen to this. Scripture explains that history. You see, history, as N.T. Wright says, it tells you you must reckon with an empty tomb. And scripture says, here's what it means. Have you ever seen a movie and then immediately after that movie, you've been like, I need to listen to the director talk about that movie because it was so crazy and powerful and interesting. I want to know what they meant behind it. Like, you know the events of the movie, but you want to know the meaning of the events in the movie? I remember when I saw Get Out, I thought that way. I was like, I need to listen to Jordan Peele talk about this for 75 hours. And I may have. Okay, but like some things require a deeper investigation. Scripture provides the deeper investigation. It is the director's commentary on human history. It tells you why things happened and when and how. And It won't always read like a history book, but it will give you the meaning behind what actually happened. Because the gospel makes sense of it to tell you something has happened in human history that has dramatically changed our world. And what the Bible does is light it up and emphasize this man who walked for 33 years and had a ministry for three years and died for the sins of the world on an actual hill, on an actual cross, bled and died, was buried and was raised to glory. And that changes everything. What scripture tells us is that that event is not just about a man dying. It's about God dying. It's about God taking sins of the world. Tim Keller uses this example of the old mystery writer Dorothy Sayers. Dorothy Sayers was the first woman to graduate from Oxford. She wrote this amazing mystery novel series a number of years ago called the Lord Peter Whimsey series, which you can tell she's very British. Peter Whimsey is not something an American would come up with. That's a very British name. The Lord Peter Whimsey series follows Peter Whimsey as the main detective, and he's solving mysteries, and every book that Dorothy writes, there's always this love interest, you know, that comes knocking on his door, and they go out to, but nothing ever works out for Peter. He's this lone ranger. He's this detective who can never find the right woman. 
Midway through the series, though, this character appears named Harriet Vane. And Harriet Vane, coincidentally, is the first woman to ever graduate from Oxford, and she writes mystery novels. Sound familiar? <laughs> Lord Peter Whimsey falls in love with Harriet Vane, and the whole trajectory of the story changes after that. Dorothy Sayers found out there was no love that her main character could find apart from her, the author. And so what did she do? She wrote herself in. <laughs> and what has God done in history but seen a humanity scraping after religion and philosophy, love and lust, power and violence, and he wrote himself in. And he appeared in history in order to wake up a world that was fledgling for meaning. And he says, I'm here. This is me. And the way I will prove that is through a historical account of my raising from the dead. The resurrection changes history. It changes humanity's meaning. You see your Bible. It both includes and yet transcends historical accounts. It gives greater meaning than just a blanket state of what history was, it tells you why history was the way that it was. Which is why the gospel, finally, is news and not just advice. The gospel is news. It's the news that something has happened to our world. And the reason I say not advice is because many of you receive tremendous advice. And the Christian gospel and the Christian message would never be set apart if it was another stream of advice. Religion is advice. Religion says, live this way, and you will relate to God through your obedience and actions to these things. The gospel does not say anything like that. The gospel says, it's not about what you do, it's about something that has happened in history. It's about waking up to the reality. You see, the gospel, friends, is a headline, not an advice column. It is on the front page if we still had a front page. It's the banner across the newspaper that says something has happened. And see, friends, the, here's why it's so important. This is why, this is why it's so essential. You react to advice differently than you react to news. Let me give you this example. Let's say you come home and you check your actual mail, your snail mail, like you do once a week. And you see in one of those envelopes, you open it, you're like, I don't know who this is. The, it's very, it looks very official and nice, and you, you open it up, and right in the heading it says, the following documents are the perfect advice to make $100,000. Now, you're going to react to that a particular way. A lot of us would be like, scam and throw it out. Some of us might be a little interested and go, I'm going to Google this, you know? And then, but we're going to be led into some type of first step with no, now listen to me, with no assurance we'll actually get $100,000. Now, what if you opened your mail and an official letterhead said that you were the heir to the throne of some ancient society in wherever you're from, and says you are entitled to an inheritance of $100,000.
you would react to that very differently. Now just take out for the, from the metaphor if it's a scam or not, because I know we live in scam culture, you're like, this is a bad metaphor, but just hang with me. <laughs> if you actually got official news that was actually real, that you had inherited $100,000, your reaction to that would be far different from the advice. And here's the thing, you'd actually get $100,000. News that something has happened makes you react in a different way than advice. And the gospel is news. When we talk to people about God, we are saying that something has happened. When we talk to people about Jesus, we are saying that something has occurred in our life and in history. And when we share that kind of news, we just proclaim it. We don't have to explain it. Now, we're going to have to have conversations and obviously, like, make clarifications and answer people's questions and stuff. But at the end of the day, we say, I don't know. God showed up. Something has happened in history. The gospel, friends, it demands a response. It demands a response. What is your response to this gospel? Because here's the thing. People, people say all the time, they say, Chris... I would believe in your God if he would just show up. I say he did. And eyewitnesses saw it. And they wrote it down and spread the news unlike any kind of news that were ever come up from that century. People all the time in the, old, in the ancient world claimed that people had rose from the dead. And those movements all died off. But as Paul says in this, he says, Jesus appeared to the 12, he appeared to 500 more. They're still alive right now. They are reports from eyewitnesses in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Something has happened. What is your response? Because so common, people tell me all the time, well, Chris, show me the proof that he rose from the dead. And I said, I, I have studied this. I will, help, I, will I will happily talk to you. But will you also do this? Tell me he didn't. Show me he didn't. Because the gospel is an event and it demands a response. Did God step into history or did he not? So let's conclude by just stepping back for a second. Because after examining the details of a diamond, sometimes we have to admire it from afar on someone's finger and realize this is just beautiful. <laughs> this is just a diamond. Maybe something to help you is to move the question, what is the gospel? to the question, who is the gospel? Because the good news, what is it? It's summarized in a person. It's summarized in Jesus. It's summarized in the work and life of Jesus, which is why in Mark 1, 14 and 15, it says that Jesus came preaching the gospel. This is the first chapter of Mark before his ministry has even begun. Do you recognize any problem with this? He hasn't died yet. <laughs> how can you preach the gospel before Jesus died? Because the gospel is so much bigger than just the death of Jesus. Although it definitely includes and hinges upon his death, it's wider and bigger than that. It's the transformational message that God has come in human history through Jesus and that through his life, death, and resurrection, all of us can be forgiven of our sins and provide life as adopted sons and daughters of God. That's the message. It's that big. It's that wide. It's that God wrote himself in. It's that God looked at a, at a dying world and knew from day one, I will be coming. I will show myself to be the person of Jesus. And that's why, friends, we share Jesus. We talk about Jesus. 
When you tell someone who Jesus is, you're sharing the gospel. When you tell someone about Jesus' life and share some of his teaching, you're sharing the gospel. When you talk about his cross, you're sharing the gospel. When you talk about his death and resurrection, you're sharing the gospel. When you talk about the living Jesus in affecting and changing your life, you're sharing the gospel. When you tell someone how Jesus' story has affected yours, you're sharing the gospel. And if it's true that you can't talk about God without knowing God, and if it's true that you can't know God except for the gospel, then the reverse is true. If you know God, you can share him. If you know the gospel, you know God. The reverse is true. If you can't talk about, if God becomes difficult and vague, but you can access him through the gospel, the truth is that if you know Jesus, you can easily share with others the transformational message that he has come and that he is alive and that he is not dead. It's, it's so funny how life works. I'm a third grader messing up this whole gospel presentation thing without knowing it, right? And I get a pamphlet ripped up in my face and thrown at me. And man, it's, I was just thinking though, because a couple of weeks ago, um, I had this great kind of moment of clarity. And then when I was studying this, I, I had realized how good God, God really has been. Um, I was at a car dealership or the eighth circle of hell. And um, <laughs> I, I was suffering but I needed a, I need a car, and um, I'm talking, and every pastor, just, I'll give you a hint here, every pastor always just has a moment of anxiety when someone asks the very simple introductory question, what do you do? We're like, how do I put this? If I'm in the South, I'm like, I'm a pastor, hi, but you know, um, if I'm over here, I just don't. Um, so I say, I'm a pastor, and it's always this moment of, like, they don't know how to follow up with that. <laughs> if I say, like, I work at Apple, you know, they're like, oh, they have a million follow-up questions. If I say that I work at a law firm, and there's like, oh, a million follow-up questions. You know, a pastor, they're like, where do I go from here? <laughs> um, so he has a moment of pause, and I always interject. I go, I know, it's a little weird. I say that, just to, like, to, just to like you know, chill him out a little bit. I go, I know, it's weird, but I'm normal, I promise. And uh, so people, like, we're, we're, we're having this kind of conversation, and we just have a moment where, you know, they're going to talk to a sales rep and doing magic or whatever. And uh, <laughs> just me and this guy. He looks at me, he goes, he's kind of, like, looking at me, like, arms crossed. He goes, it's your pastor, huh? And I'm like, oh, oh boy. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, I am. And he goes, uh, I grew up in a fundamentalist Baptist church, and it really messed me up said, I want to believe I'm still a Christian, but I don't, I don't go to church. I can't go to church. I just can't do it. And then he says this. He goes, what do you think about that? <laughs> I said, the only person who knows if you're a Christian is you and God. I'm not going to answer that question for you. But here's what I know. I know that Jesus is not about the trauma you experienced. And that religion gets twisted all the time. And I work for a great church, and I know great churches. And I know if Jesus is real to you, you'll come back to his church to find him. I said, he's there, man. 
And I left, I left the dealership kind of like without a car, but also like wondering. <laughs> See, they're not going to get me, okay. Uh, but also wondering, how good is God to give us accidental moments of sharing? I, I only shared what I shared because I just know who Jesus is. And I'm telling you, I'm a pastor. I'm not a good evangelist. I'm not, I'm not good at moments like that. But what I realized is God is so good that we don't often share Jesus so much as Jesus shares us with someone else. It's his work. It's his gospel. It's his message. We've got to come back to it. It'll transform our church and how we share and our witness in the world. I believe that deeply. Let me pray. God, we come back to your gospel, your transformational message that you have come, that you wrote yourself in. And we recognize here and now that we need you, God. And so my prayer, I know this church has got a diversity of people on the spectrum of belief. And Lord, I just pray you would show yourself to us. Lord, I pray for those who have grown up through the church and think they've graduated from the gospel. Lord, bring us back. God, I pray for those who have, for the first time, heard this news. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would powerfully ask us to reckon with it, to see it face to face, and to respond to the news in some way, God. Oh, Lord, we repent of our strange ways of sharing the gospel, our, our, our prideful ways of sharing the gospel. Lord, we repent as a church of, of the ways in which we have unfairly presented your message and been proud. Lord, we, are, we ask for your forgiveness and we come back to your gospel knowing we are not right all the time. So we need your help in Jesus' name.